Hour number two. It's the Big Show. Russick and Rose. Sports at 960. The fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio at the bottom of the hour. We'll unleash our text topic for your chance to win VIP tickets to the Cowboys Music Festival on Sunday, July 16th. We'll talk to Jason Bukula, Sportsnet draft analyst, former director of scouting for the Florida Panthers at the top of the next hour. But right now, it's time for our man, Frank Saravalli, NHL insider from Daily Faceoff, brought to you by South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. Uh, good morning, sir. Uh, how's Nashville treating you? Well, let me tell you this. I am uh, heading out today after rounds two through seven wrap-up, so I was just packing up my suitcase. It is on track to be north of 40 degrees here today. Oh, boy. And that means that as I was repacking my suitcase, I felt like I needed one of those hazmat suits, you know, like when you're dealing with asbestos and other toxic waste. Yep. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what the situation was like this morning. Uh, I, I feel like, and again, I don't want to cast aspersions here. I feel like you're a guy who doesn't enjoy humidity and heat. I'm just not built for it. <laughs> And I also didn't pack enough for that. <laughs> um, has it been late nights for you? What what's what's the Frank Cervalli Nashville experience been like? As have you been going getting after it every night? Have you been responsible? How 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 have you handled that draft in Nashville? Honestly, this is probably the most responsible I've been. I've sort of uh, grown up a little bit here. Okay, I mean it kind of helps too that this is like my fifteenth trip to Nashville, so. I don't, uh, you know, I, I know where the trouble spots are, so to speak. So I know where to mm. where to avoid them. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I would say last night I left the arena around 1130 local. And by that point, after going since 630 in the morning, I said, you know what? No, I'm, I'm going to teetotal tonight. No, uh, mm. no booze, uh, just a little room service and bed. So for the first time in a long time, I can say that I actually – was a good boy. How was uh, the atmosphere in the arena? It was okay. I mean, the Preds pick, of course, drew a pretty good reception. The Preds picks, plural. Um, short of that, I mean, no trades. The Chicago Blackhawks fans that came down to see Connor Bedard get drafted, that was cool. And outside of that, maybe a little bit of a gasp with Leo Carlson going at two overall. It was just kind of mm-hmm. like, it felt like a, an extended business meeting. Hmm. Um, how surprised were you that maybe uh, the, all this action we heard, that potentially all these fireworks, these trades, this incredible first round of the draft that all these teams want to get into, when essentially we we barely had anything last night. Were, were you, was your phone blowing up? Did you expect a lot more movement than we actually saw? Uh, well, for sure. Um, and part of it was even related to the picks. And I, I feel like a lot of what played out last night, and at least in talking to some GMs as they were walking off the floor, it was very pick-dependent, some of the activity. Like, the Montreal Canadiens had four to five different offers on their hands to trade that number five overall pick. They had their sights set on Reinbacher the whole time. And if he went somewhere else, if someone in the top four grabbed him, then they were going to pivot, I believe, and trade down and get another player. I think that was their approach. And and lo and behold, you know, you have it play out where 
he he's available. They keep the pick. The Flyers have Matt Bavnichkov fall to him at seven. They really wanted to get their hands on him. They had been trying to trade up. Barry Trotz mentioned that he tried like heck to even probably having some uncomfortable conversations, he said, um, trying to get into the top 10. He put out Yaroslav Askarov, the goalie that was number 11 overall back in 2020. He was available and up for grabs yesterday. The St. Louis Blues had told people all week, we're not picking at 25 and 29. We're going to be moving those picks. Here's the thing. Uh, some GMs that I spoke to that tried to trade down couldn't find any takers. And then the weird part is toward the back half of the round at, you know, when St. Louis was picking 27, 28, 29, 30, other GMs said they tried to trade in at that point and the teams liked what was left on the board. So you couldn't get it one way or the other. And um, all of that leaves a very sad insider on a Wednesday <laughs> round one of the draft. Yeah, well, hey, quiet night still is a... Big night out in Nashville, I guess. Um, one of the things that I found really interesting about the way that the draft kind of played out was obviously Matvey Michkov going to the Philadelphia Flyers. You mentioned that this is someone that they wanted, someone that they had maybe courted a little bit once he came over to North America. Why is this, do you think, a fit that Matvey Michkov likes? Because this seems to be the team that he wanted to go to, maybe even more so than Washington. It's easier to say that after you go to Philly but that's kind of what it felt like listening to him and reading some of his uh, quotes after the uh, draft yesterday. Yeah, and the Flyers had a really good idea. They actually had him visit their team practice facility before they came here. Um, it was kind of one of the things that they kept under wraps because they also didn't want to broadcast too loudly to everyone, hey, we want this guy. Because then all of a sudden you start getting calls from teams like the Montreal Canadiens at five who are saying, hey, we're about to take him. Do you, do you still want him? And it's this whole game of chicken that teams try and extract value. Um, so you want to try and keep those, you know, the guys that you really like, uh, hold those cards as close to your vest as possible. But there was word, you know, sort of leaking out late last week. Uh, I mentioned, you know, on Monday's podcast and shows that they were looking to potentially move into the top four or five to ensure that they got him. They confirmed when they had a second meeting that, you know, he really wanted to be a flyer. And I think, for a team that's really just starting its rebuild and beginning to tear it down, the timeline almost lines up perfectly. If you really believe in the player and you think he's as, you know, the next Kirill Kaprizov, you know, the next real big impact player to come from Russia, then, and you know you can't get him until 2026, to then think about building up to that point and having him start his entry-level contract then for three years, has to be really enticing and exciting. So um, that's the Flyers' thought process. They were, they as, as they examined a bunch of different options to move up, part of their calculus the whole time was maybe we can just keep our pick and he'll slide to us. And that's exactly what happened. Now, there's a couple of surprises, and I'm wondering which ones kind of resonated along the draft floor and across the media the most. Simashev at six was a surprise. Nate Danielson going up to nine in Detroit was maybe a surprise. And then some some slides as well. Zach Benson got to 13. Sandine Pelica got to 17. Oliver Moore at 19. What was kind of the buzz on the, the sliding or the rising of some of these kids in the first round? I think part of the buzz is that this happens every year. There's always some player 
that mm-hmm. everyone's like, can't believe he fell that far back, or, oh, man, it seems like they really jumped up on the board to get him. I think the biggest surprise was um, where the, the Toronto Maple Leafs selected. A lot of people had him, you know, in, in the 50s or 60s on their draft board. And clearly the, the Leafs saw something that they liked. Uh, he had a massive playoff run, and, and so that was part of it. I think that really caught their eye after a really quiet regular season. The teams, you know, sort of are willing to go to different places. You know, you look at the Arizona Coyotes, you know, is, is Simashev a, a leap? Like, Marit Sider was a leap to the Detroit Red Wings at six overall a number of years back. Doesn't really feel that way now, right? And I think that's kind of one of the things that, makes me laugh and or drives me crazy about the draft is like, I'm not one of those guys by any stretch of the imagination that pretends to be a draft expert. I've got my hands full trying to tackle 32 teams and, and what they're up to with their current rosters, let alone trying to project into the future. So I leave that to people who are actually watching the players, but unlike with the NFL draft or the NBA draft where people are seeing these players, you know, sort of in the mainstream in college football and, you know, in the, NBA in college basketball, you know, it's, it's a little bit harder to look for these guys. And the fact that they're not making an impact for three to five years, it's a lot more difficult of a science. So um, I think the buzz, especially with the Coyotes going at six and 12 and taking two Russians that were teammates. Mm-hmm. First off, they were super excited about the idea of that. And second, those two guys actually told them we want to be Arizona Coyotes. And just like with the Flyers hearing that from Matt Van Meechkoff, like, that excites a team like Arizona when we were saying before, geez, you know, when they lost the Tempe Arena vote, we were like, who, who would want to get picked by these guys at 6-12? and 12? Like, Who would want to join that organization? And if you feel confident in the players and they want to be part of your team, that's just a feather in your cap. Frank Cervalli, NHL Insider for Daily Faceoff, joining us here courtesy of South Trail Chrysler. Um, I mentioned it. Who's the two teams? Because uh, to me, Frank, the Avalanche and the Red Wings, whenever they make a pick, I just give the, them the immediate benefit of the doubt uh, because Steve Eiserman's been so good mm-hmm. at it for so many years, and the Avalanche have made so many smart moves here the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. Is that the two teams or two things you look at go, yep, I like what they did because they know what they're doing? Yeah, I think they're one of those teams, draft-wise, that you're, the, the Red Wings for sure. Um, you know, the other team that I wish was picking in the first round that I get some of those vibes from, and I talked to Jim Nill after um, he was awarded the GM of the Year Award last night. Part of the reason he won that award is because of his drafting. Like, if you look at the players that that franchise has hit on, and that 2017 draft is going to go down as the stuff of legend getting the three franchise pillars that they did. Um, it's arguably this, the best single draft from any one franchise in league history. And anytime, you know, the Dallas Stars are, are making a selection, like my, my eyebrows perk up a little bit. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And, and he was saying, lamenting last night, I can't believe I didn't have a first-round pick. I really wanted one. Of course, traded it uh, the beginning of last season to get Nils Lundqvist. And, um, oof, it's, uh, you know, the scouting part is interesting, and that's why I'm fascinated to see how today plays out because, obviously, a lot of prospects left Bridgestone Arena last night, and they're all disappointed. 
And it's like, oh, I really wanted to be a first-round pick. And to be able to attach that to you, um, you know, for the rest of your career, it's pretty awesome. But I think the one thing that fans lose sight of is the fact that picks 33, 36, 38, like, it's not like there's a, a – because they're selected on day two, there's a big drop-off in terms of the talent of the guys that were picked at 25 and 27. Yeah. So – that's the one reminder is like, especially as this draft goes on, teams can find value and diamonds in the rough everywhere. Now, I don't know. Did you hear this story going around about this question that we believe Kent Hughes was asking prospects about, you know, boats and submarines and soldiers in the water and all of this type of jazz? Did you hear this story as well down in Nashville? I did. Can you tell us? what you thought of it and some of these stranger questions that you have maybe heard asked to prospects in the past? Cause this one felt really heavy. Um, it does sound heavy. I didn't confirm the story and I don't know if it's accurate. So I'd hate to perpetuate something that might not be, but what I'll tell you is that previously last year in particular with the Canadians having the number one overall pick, they had developed a reputation of a tough interview process and maybe some different questions. And part of it, I think, is some may look at that as sort of, um, if not like talking about actual literal warfare, some may view that as mental warfare for 18-year-old kids in this job interview. Um, I don't really know quite what to make of it. All I know is that... um, Last year, there was word going around that the Montreal Canadiens in their interview process had made Shane Wright emotional. And I don't know if that's accurate or not, but they kind of had pushed him to the limit. And I think part of it is a little test. Like, hey, Hmm. uh, we want to see in our market how you respond to duress, how you would handle pressure and stress. And... Maybe it is, there is a little bit of an idea of a stress test that comes with it. Um, and I don't know if that's fair or unfair, right or wrong. I don't know what the answer is, but nonetheless, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about that for players that you know their game, you know their tendencies, you know how their hockey IQ is, a huge part of being a successful professional athlete is having confidence and uh, the proper mind frame to be able to um, deliver in big moments. And so I wonder if they used any of that to help answer some questions or make some decisions about their process. Like, did they have a giant light that I'd they like shine? What I'd like to ask you is... Yeah. Say that again? I, what did I would they ask have, you like, is, a light they I, shine? They put them in a room with an uneven chair? Oh like, it went, <laughs> double pane glass, like, with a mirrored? Like, what, what kind of, like, this just sounds horrible that these kids were going through this. And they're 18, for God's sake, Frank. I get it, but also when you're making the pick, you're making at the very minimum a $3 million commitment, and at number one overall, it's probably a 15 to $20 million decision mm-hmm. at the very least. Yeah. So should you, should you push, or do you just be the nice guy and shake hands and – you know, move. I, I don't know what the right answer is. All I know right. is I'd want to be real sure about a lot of different things. Well, is is it doesn't that that isn't that's why that the NHL draft is maybe 
it, it, baseball, we know, is a, a total crapshoot, too. But uh, it's different in the NFL. You're drafting older players. Kids have been in college a couple seasons. It feels like they're safer picks just based solely on their age. Has there ever been any talk, maybe we should draft these kids a little older because 18, like, the, there's just a lot of hit and miss because, you know, they are just 18 years old, and it's not as safe as maybe it is in the NFL where they have that couple extra years of post-secondary. Well, the difference, the biggest difference is not just the age. It's that when you draft a, a senior football player out of college, you're getting that player in your lineup six months later. Right. There's the, the, the amount of – what, what he is is basically more or less close to a finished product. What you're getting in the NHL, you're trying to project five years from now. And not only is that extremely difficult, but that's where – you start to see even from picks 14, 15 on in the first round, what you're talking about is basically a coin flip of whether or not they, they make it to the NHL and play 200 games. Mm. And when you start to view it through that prism, I was mentioning this yesterday with Pat Steinberg, everyone was kind of, I think in your market, a little bit dismayed about the idea of, um, why didn't we get a, a first-round pick for Tyler Toffoli? And I, I think the Flames could have gotten a late first-round pick, but when you view it through that lens of 29 overall, whatever it might have been, would you rather take the coin flip of a guy who may not make it to the NHL or a guy that you already know that's 24, 25 years old that has a higher ceiling than what he showed last year in New Jersey that you can put right into your lineup now? I know the path I would take if I was a GM, but people get enamored by the idea of we have to get a pick. Yeah, they start to really enjoy it. And then the Sharon Govich extension came a little bit earlier in the day there yesterday, too. Like, what did you make of uh, the Sharon Govich edition and, and then just the little contract you signed there for two years? I like it. I mean, I, I think he's a guy that has some higher upside. I think he is a prototypical middle six player. Um, he's got the potential and speed um, to really change the look of the team, like as one of those pieces that helps take this team that was one of the slower in the league to, you know, now to a better spot in terms of generating opportunities and chances, some versatility. They think that he might be able to play center. Um, when you consider where the Flames were at to fully asking for a trade, the, the team not willing to commit the term that he's looking for at that age, also coming off of a career high after being in the league for 10-plus years, probably not going to get to that level again, at least statistically he's not likely to, that I think they made a smart decision to not – at a time when they really wanted to try and keep as many players together as possible from the team to try and be competitive, to just do something a little bit different and um, and find also a different stylistic fit that I think will be really valuable. One of the fascinating things here as we kind of get near the end of the uh, or, or approach free agency is the amount of players that are seemingly available for free. And I think about Ryan Johansson, who went for the signing rights to Alex Galchenyuk, who they didn't plan on signing. I think about Taylor Hall going to Chicago for a couple of RFAs. I think of 
even Kevin Hayes going to St. Louis for a six-round pick with half of his salary retained. That feels like a player essentially for free. Do you think we'll see any of these type of moves today or in the next couple days ahead of free agency where players with maybe veterans with cap get moved for seemingly nothing because that's what cap is worth nowadays? I think as we're nearing the buyout window closing at 5 Eastern, 3 Mountain on Friday, not only are you going to see teams push to try and get rid of the contracts that they wanted to, like uh, Kyler Yamamoto, for instance, from Edmonton, you know, I don't think you're going to, you're obviously not going to see any, any prices paid for those players, but what you reach is a, a stage of chicken where it's like, are you going to buy the guy out? Or are you going to attach a pick or a sweetener to try and move this player? And that's essentially what some teams are weighing. Like, I can go through a list of some of the other players that are either free or mostly free that could be available and on the move today, just scrolling through my trade board. Jeff Petrie from the Pittsburgh Penguins. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Tory Krug has quite, quite reached the free stage, but I think it's pretty safe to say that I think the reason why St. Louis wasn't able to pull off some of the other bigger moves that they wanted to make on Wednesday, moving those 25 and 29 overall picks to get current help, is they didn't have the cap flexibility and freedom that they were hoping for. Anthony Mantha, Washington, Mm -hmm. mostly free. Um, Blake Wheeler, definitely free in Winnipeg. Uh, Zach Bogosian, Tampa's trying to move him. Barkley Goodrow, mostly free. Tyler Myers, mostly free. Kevin LeBanc, definitely free. Like These are all players that have reached a spot. Derek Forbort in Boston. Mike Riley, uh, buyout candidate. Mikhail Granlin, Pittsburgh. There's a ton of players that have been out there and in the mix. Mike Hoffman, free. Joel, Ar- Joel Armia, free. Like That's where you could see some movement today as teams are they've reached the bleep or get off the pot moment in terms of uh buyouts coming tomorrow frank what's the latest on noah hannafin well um the calgary flames i believe engaged in some discussions and conversation with teams over the last number of days uh in speaking to people close to the team after the draft last night they were saying um look there just wasn't that much activity a lot of people were surprised how quiet it was from that standpoint and i think they were hoping for more interest and or excitement um you know to just try and head in that direction but one thing i want to remind everyone and i think that this has been an important thing lost in terms of some of the players that have either asked for for trades or to you know to not resign in calgary one of the things is there's no animosity here. Like Noah Hannafin has liked his time in Calgary. His just preference is to not resign and, uh, and play there for the long-term future of his career. So if he needs to come back for this upcoming season and play out his contract year, I mean, he's already told the flames he's happy to do so. So there's no friction or any issue there. It's just that his preference as he makes it to market a year from now, just isn't to play in Calgary. I don't know if that um, makes you feel any better though. Well, no, like, again, like, again, these, these players make these decisions. Um, the Tyler Toffoli thing, too, like, he wanted a lot more than three years, and obviously what we're hearing, and Eric Francis told us this week, that the Flames just weren't comfortable with that. I think, doesn't that, not that it lessens the blow of the trade, but it, it, that's that's reasonable by the Flames to say, actually, you're 31 years old, you just got off a career year, maybe we don't want to commit six years to you. 
I think that's perfectly reasonable, and I think that's exactly the tough decision that a lot of teams fail to make. It's easier to just sign the guy and deal with the carnage later, and I think the Flames are pretty smart to just try and go in another direction, especially at the same time that everything else is happening around the you know around their team. Um, Connor Hellebuck is today the day. Um, Mark Shifley, maybe like who's the biggest name that could move today? I'd be real surprised if Hellebuck's on the move today. Um, I just think the interest hasn't been there because teams know that they can't really afford to pay him. And then on top of the acquisition cost, like I think the Winnipeg Jets are in a real tough spot. Uh, I think the Sens are going to continue to talk about Alex to bring it today. You know, I wonder about the Carolina Hurricanes. They've been a traditional day two of the draft, make a deal team. Mm. Brett Pesci, they've been talking. I don't know where things stand in terms of an extension, but um, I sort of have my eye on Brett Pesci from the Canes. Um, Wonder what the Philadelphia Flyers are up to, but I don't think they were too active last night after making their picks. As mentioned, Kyler Yamamoto from the Oilers, big day for him. And what are some of these other teams up to that we haven't heard a lot from? What's up with Evgeny Kuznetsov and the Caps? There was the Tom Wilson rumor out there. Not true. They're not trying to move him. But Mantha, you've also got uh, a couple other expensive cap hits that you'd like to try and move if you can find a taker. All right, Frank, terrific stuff. Uh, We appreciate um, you taking uh, you being the mature adult that you are. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, really concentrating on your craft of being an NHL insider. Uh, we appreciate that, and we look forward to some more uh, interesting and intriguing tweets today. Thanks, pal. Look, guys, I'm just a, a, a bigger guy on a scooter going downhill with one wheel just trying to make it to the finish line. Yeah, I like that. Week like that away, analogy. buddy. You got this. Like, How would Ken Hughes uh, interpret that statement, though, that you just made? Like, I just <laughs> wanted to know. It's It's only three days, so that's. Not a week. There you go. Yeah, there we All go. Right. Uh, thanks, Frank. We'll talk next week. See you guys. There he is, uh, Frank Cervalli, brought to you by South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's a perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. Um, straight ahead, I want to dive in a little more into that Tyler Toffoli thing that even Eric Francis told us yesterday. But also, um, we want to... Can you play the Kent Hughes clip for us one more time there, Matty? Yeah, I got it. uh, One second. I've got it right here. I think one was if you you were at war and you were required to shoot down uh, enemy submarines and that submarine had shot down one of your boats and there were members of your your army in the water and you knew the submarine was there, would you shoot the submarine? You know, question whether you, you know you appreciate and stay focused on a task. Difficult questions, but okay. Um, we want we <laughs> Elliot, want Elliot at the end. Okay. Okay. Uh, we want you to um, paint your uh, give us your Ken Hughes uh, tough question scenario for a draft pick. Um, nine sixty nine sixty name and location. I know I'm asking a lot of you right now, but we've also got some tickets. Uh, to Cowboys, uh, the VIP tickets to the Cowboys Music Festival Sunday, July 16th. You can see Ice Cube, Steve Aoki, 24K Golden. Um, we want your tough Ken Hughes uh, scenario <laughs> question that you would ask a draft pick. We've already had a couple of them just because, and they're all so good. Yeah, so I want good. I want to do it. 
Like, if you and your buddy, uh, if one of your parachutes failed, <laughs> like would the- you would you try to release? Would you cut your parachute and try to grab them and then use the reserve parachute for yeah. both of you to survive? Like something like. Or that. would you just watch them splat? That's right. We want to hear your tough Kent Hughes-like question to a draft pick. 960, 960, name and location. I don't know how this is going to go. It could be really good or it could be really bad. I don't know. Hey, we could give some to Jason Bukla just after 8 o'clock. If you get him in now, we'll see what he thinks. Like I, yep. I was watching the draft yesterday, and he had some excellent questions for some of the draft kids in, in that uh, Hockey Central segment they did around 4.30. I thought it was great. If you can tell me why we should pick you without using the letter E in a sentence. <laughs> like, there's a good one. Do it. I'm, uh, yeah. There you go. That was my answer. No E's. Do it. I'm a, I'm a good. Short and simple. I'm a good I, guy. There you go. I No E. I work good. Yes. And See? sport good. And hard. I work good and hard. No E. Uh, keep them rolling in, 960, 960, name and location. Give us your tough Ken Hughes question. <laughs> I just start ask. listing buzzwords yeah. that I don't. If uh, you were on a plane past. with a South American rugby team and it crashed in the Andes, which member of your team would you eat first? Alive. <laughs> which one and which body part would you eat first? <laughs> Because we'll determine a lot of what kind of player you'll be from that question. God, it's so it's so unnerving. Like even when we replay the clip, it's like, oh god, what? It just goes on for so long. Yeah. Like that from Frank that they made Shane Wright emotional, and then you remember like the gaze that he shot at the Montreal oh, yeah. Canadiens after he got drafted, and you're like, oh, so they like destroyed him in the interview process, and then just skipped over him at first. If oh. you wake up in a bathtub full of ice and one kidney missing, which kidney would you want missing, your left or right? It's like, uh, if you had to replace your toes with your fingers or your ears with your eyes, which one would you do and why? Okay, I like that. 960, 960, name and location. We're giving away uh, VIP tickets to the Cowboys Music Festival on Sunday, July 16th. Uh, send them in right now. And uh, I want to talk about the Foley thing. We'll talk to Jason Bukala. We'll talk to David Amber. It's all straight ahead. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. The top of the hour, Jason Bukala. Sportsnet draft analyst, former director of scouting for the Florida Panthers, will get his take on round one and look ahead to rounds two and three with Books. What does he like? Who was the steal of the draft last night? Who's still out there? Who's super intriguing? We'll ask Bukla those questions, and we'll talk to David Amber, host of Hockey Night Canada, NHL on Sportsnet, will join us at 8.30. We're also giving away a pair of VIP tickets to the Cowboys Music Festival. Goes down Sunday, July 16th. You can see Ice Cube, Steve Aoki, 24K Golden. In honor of uh, Kent Hughes spilling the beans on the very difficult question he was asking prospective draft picks of the Montreal Canadiens, give us a weird, tough scenario you would ask a draft pick if you're Kent Hughes. 960, 960, name and location. 
Some of these are excellent already flying into the text line. <laughs> this is going way better than I could have imagined. I was howling during the break. Yeah. Um, Texty McTexterson is our Sportsnet 960, the fan texting robot. And uh, we got to get to those uh, before we wrap up the show. They're so good, man. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you're trapped in a, in a mountain... <laughs> And your arm was stuck behind a boulder and you had to chew it off. Which arm would you chew off? Which arm would you prefer to chew off and why? Probably the one stuck in the boulder. Yeah. But if one had to be stuck, your left or right arm? Mm. Um, Left. Okay. I think that's an easy one. Really? Because you're <laughs> right-handed? Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Like Anytime I try and use my left hand for literally anything, I'm like, how do I survive like day-to-day? Okay. Well, you, you know it's actually good for your brain if you try to use more of your left hand. Did you know that? Sure. I I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> but the what do I, I use it? Taught, the stuff I've taught you. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're just such a show. wealth of knowledge. What would I do without you? My goodness. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Um, there's still, uh, I don't know, maybe some residual bitterness is bitterness a strong word like oh, disappointment what? about the tyler to foley deal and then when you hear like eric francis talking about it and now it's kind of out there that to camp wanted like six years and the flames are like actually we'll go three years uh we're cool with three years not six years because you're 31 years old doesn't that soften the blow a ton if you're a flames fan going yeah actually maybe we dodged a bullet here and we're not locked into tyler to fully from now to the end of eternity a hundred percent and like the other thing here is that like he's obviously he wasn't happy with the fact that he was a little bit further down the order when it came to things that the team had to get in order but like frankly like come on man like talking about Noah Hannafin, prime of his career, top pairing defenseman. You're talking about Elias Lindholm, centerman, top player on your team. Guy scored 40 goals in his career. He's been a 100-point player type thing. Like, you had a good year. Don't get me wrong. And since you came to Calgary, you were an excellent player for the Flames. But at the same time, it was like, like what, what did you expect? And like six years, like you mentioned, 31 years old. I would have been very fine with a couple of years, two or three, no problem. Sure, if you wanted to try and prop this window open a little bit further, but that wasn't the case. You wanted to go long term, you know, the dollar probably would have been what, five, six, seven dollars or seven million for a guy like this, something around there, depending on what the term ended up being. So, yeah, like, listen, I think that this is a, a pretty good swerve for the Flames when you find out everything else that we kind of came come to know about this this particular deal. Are you surprised it's only two years for Sharon Govich? Um, not overly like as much as like the flames did give him a whole bunch of props and we're very excited about him in the whole nine yards. Yada, yada. Um, like not entirely. We'll see where they are in two years. Does he fit in at that point? You can deal him then if, if, you know, things go awry and, and he's still a player with a little bit of value, but all of a sudden he's 27 and maybe doesn't fit in the window so much, but maybe he's gotten back that offensive form a little bit. You can capitalize on a deal there, but no, I'm, two years is kind of what I expected. Like he's played three seasons in the NHL. He's had one really good season. 
Last year was a little bit down. Ended up being scratched in the playoffs after they went out and got a whole bunch of kind of veterans to come and help them in. Especially the Timo Meyer edition. That definitely did not help Sharon Govich's case. But yeah, two years, it was it was kind of what I was expecting from this deal. There'll be a UFA about, at the end of it. What about Frank's take uh, that he just had with us that, uh, yeah, it's great that people wanted a first-round pick in return for Tyler Toffoli, but it would be at the back end of the first round, and maybe Sharon Govich has a higher ceiling than any of those players at the back end of the first round. Well, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, but that's kind of the sense I got, that maybe he's a better prospect, not that he's a prospect at 25 years old, but maybe there's a higher ceiling on him than anybody maybe at the end of the first round last night. Yeah, which is interesting for sure. At the same time, you know, nobody ended up trading those first-round picks when push came to shove because they ended up liking all the players who were on the list, and and maybe the Flames could have gotten into the first round earlier when they were trading Tyler Toffoli, right? So, I don't know. It's it's kind of tough. Like I understand you get a player who you like, and and I agree with you. He's not really a prospect. He's twenty five. He's only played three years in the NHL. Took a while to come over from Russia, but at the same time, if you like the player and you think you can get a good value for him, or you can resign him, and he's going to be a big piece here moving forward. Well, then you move forward with it, and, and you got to stay true to your convictions. You know, I personally, I think a first-round pick at the end of the draft would have been good, but at the same time, this team has shown that the kind of direction that they want to go in is unknown, and, and that would have been much more of a kind of rebuild type move. Like, if you make that move, and Lindholm still hasn't signed, then maybe that kind of pushes the needle more to leaving for Elias Lindholm and that if that makes sense you know here you get a guy who comes in and and maybe will be able to help the team win in in, in the now so yeah. now that's still lofty too but you always got to wonder if that was part of the decision making there from the Flames brass um why don't we go around the room uh, a little bit and uh, ask the guys, uh, GVP, um, do you feel better about the Toffoli trade after hearing maybe what the contract demands were? Uh, a little bit. Like you're you're put in a tough spot when you have a player like Toffoli who is aging a little bit, and you know maybe maybe that year that he had last season was probably an anomaly. I would say, like I don't think he's going to be putting up 30 goals again next season with New Jersey. So it's hard to commit to a player to a certain amount of term for longer term than expected. So I, I kind of understand it, but I, I would have liked to seen a first come back because that's what we did pay for him, but I can understand both ways. Patrick? Oh, much better. Much better. That's that's too long of a term and too much money for a guy that's coming off his best year ever at the age of 31. I think you get a guy for... Like, like I like what Frank just said. Whoever you would have picked there or whatever, if if you would have got a first, because New Jersey didn't have a first. You got to remember that. So if it was going to be next year's first, you're talking about a player you're probably going to see in four or five years. And who knows if Craig Connor is going to be around in four or five years? You got to go out and get the guy Yegor Sharangovich to fit into this team. Hopefully, you can bounce back with a new with a new roster around him. You got to think Timo Meyer coming in there really sunk him down the depth chart too in New Jersey. Healthy scratch in the playoffs. I know a lot of people are all sour about that, but I, I think this yeah. is a, still a young player who's still got lots of room to grow, and and he's a scorer in this league. So I'm I'm okay with taking that 
that uh, just the, that return that they got, and they got that third this year. Which in a deep draft, that third could be could be something as well. Maddie, do you think Noel Hannafin gets traded before Saturday? Me? No. I think things have gotten a lot quieter here. I think they're probably going to go about their business, see if they can make it work. Um, if Yeah, I, it feels like nothing is imminent. Nothing feels like it's cooking right now. Does, so, does it feel like... Does it feel like now the Flames are a lot more comfortable heading into the season with these guys on expiring deals than maybe we thought? I think that's fair. I I also just think that the market is dictating that they kind of have to be. Like, I really think that if they were getting value for some of the players that they thought was fair right now, they would do it. But we just talked to Frank about it, like asked him about all of the uh, kind of free players you can get across the NHL right now, and he went on a laundry list of guys that you literally don't have to pay to get. You just have to have the cap room to get them in. And Noah Hannafin isn't at a big cap hit, but he's going to cost you a ton of capital to bring into your organization. You're talking about high pick, prospect, roster player, whatever you want to talk about there. That's that's all going to be there. Same with Elias Lindholm, right? And then you have to sign them the year after. But for the most part, I just think that the way that the, the flat cap continuing for like a third straight year here is just really putting a lock on a ton of things around the entire NHL because these are good players, but teams don't want to give up the assets. They don't have the space if they do want to give up the assets or they've already traded away all their good assets like the New Jersey Devils or the Boston Bruins or something like that. So that's kind of where I think we've kind of gotten to the point that we're at right now. Um, again, uh, I just, I don't know why I, I hear Anthony Duclair's name thrown around and the Panthers are apparently super horny to get, um, Noah Hannafin. I just, I, I'm not sure I, I want to do that. And I know you, you're not, you're not totally against it because, um, if he's a part of a bigger package, that's fine. But I just, I'm not sure Anthony Duclair is really a fit here in Calgary. Is he a fit to you? Yeah, I think he would be. Just because with, with, with the no, with the new kind of style that this team wants to play. If Daryl Sutter was here, I would say hard no. But with the idea that you want to add more speed, add more offensive creativity to your lineup, yeah, I like Anthony Duclair. And I thought he was good okay. in the playoffs too. Showed a little bit of snarl whenever they needed him to. Not that he was like bowling guys over and stuff, but he wasn't shying away from scrums and that type of thing. Yeah, it's it's not more that I'm, I'm a fan of like, the player. Totally anti Anthony Duclair, I just feel like when it comes to Noah Hannafin, I need to get a big return, and that return doesn't feel like no uh, doesn't feel like Anthony Duclair. That's all to me. Well, it has to be more than Anthony Duclair. Well, I know I get that, but I'm just saying, I feel like it has to be a lot more than just Anthony Duclair, or even a deal surrounding Anthony Duclair. That's all. Like what? What? Because like what? What are you expecting then? Instead, a first round pick and a high end prospect. Like rebuild the team, then. Yes, I'm okay with that yeah. move, even if Lindholm signs. Yes. Hmm. Like yeah. The more, the more, the more capital you have in picks and prospects, you can you can use those to acquire more players now. So too, you can right? acquire players like Anthony Duclair to help you score. Sure, but like. 
again, it, the, the Flames, even with Elias Lindholm next season, uh, they're going to be hard-pressed to be a playoff team. Well, I think if they have Elias Lindholm and Michael Backlund, I I think what this group has constructed, they got a shot in the division. They're not going to win it, but they got a shot, especially because the wild cards are probably go, both going to come from the Pacific this year. Sure. I'm only expecting, I don't know, no, I'm, I'm just Dallas and at Colorado it. to be wagons next year in the Central. The rest is kind of up in the air. I'm just looking at it uh, from what the teams that what they've done and and what they look like right now. I don't think there's any question, especially after the Pierre Luc Dubois trade, that the Kings, Oilers, and Golden Knights, and even the the Kraken are better than the Calgary Flames on paper. Yeah, I think it's pretty lofty to throw the Kraken in there so easily on a team okay, that you were but, pretty sour on all season long. But the right, other three, I'll hear you on. Sure, but the others for sure. And but that's what I'm saying here. Like, like what what is the expectation? Like a reasonable expectation for the Calgary Flames? Yeah, you can hope that they can get into the top three if everything breaks their way. But just being realistic about it, chances are they're not going to finish top three in this division, and they'll be a wild card team. That's maybe best case scenario. Yeah. Which listen, you went out and you right. got and you got some guys, and we've talked about this. Like you've got Huberto and you've got Cadre, and if you still have Tanev and all these guys, and you get into the season and you start racking up some wins early on, why not send it for one more year? Okay, but I, I think if you have an asset like uh, Hannifin, you can uh, definitely parlay that into something super nice that doesn't necessarily have to be this season. Like, but I don't know if we can. Like, I, I thought, yeah, okay. I, like, I thought yeah. it would. We don't I, know what's out there. I thought it would have happened by now. Yep. So now I've gotten to the point where I'm like, well, if it's not out there, you don't want to just trade him for nothing. Like, the yeah. other thing that's unfortunate about this is we, like we talked about with Toffoli. You have no leverage. Like, everybody knows yeah. that Noah Hannafin is going to market next year. Everybody but, knows that. No, they have leverage when, when a top four blue liner is available. They have leverage because a lot of teams, that's a very sought after commodity. Yeah, but it's different how than much Tyler Toffoli than a guy who's 31 coming off a career year who foot speed's an issue in today's game. Although he's very, he's a very good player, very smart player, like that he plays on the edge too. But the value that Tyler Tavoli has compared to the value with Noah Hannafin is, I don't even think it's remotely close. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Well, no, I don't it's, think leverage, it's not. I, I don't think leverage matters in the Noah Hannafin camp. Why? Because if, if I'm the Flames, I'm saying I want a first and a prospect and a real player right now. Somebody will pay Florida, that. And I'm Florida. I'm saying, yeah. well, what if nobody does? And he just ends up going to market. What if everybody says that's too high and we're just going to wait for him to go to market and we'll just do a bidding war? What if Boston and Florida both just say, we'll just wait then. We don't need them this one year. Sure, we'll just wait. Sure, that could happen, but you could also hold on to them at the deadline and create a bidding war among teams who make bold decisions at the trade deadline. I'm just saying when a guy like that's available, teams are lining up for him. That's all I'm saying. More so than a Tyler Toffoli type. That's all. More so, for sure, but I also think that if they were lining up, the deal would be done. If they were lining up and had the package that the Flames want, I think the deal would be done. Uh, we can ask Jason Bukula uh, that question. What what kind of package would Noah Hannafin potentially fetch? Who do, ha- who do you have your eye on for the second round uh, here tonight, which goes down from Nashville? What are some of the gems remaining? And we'll get his take on uh, Samuel Hanzik, the newest member of the Calgary Flames. They took 16th overall last night in the draft. 
Six foot three Slovak winger, 195 pounds, can score, um, played in the dub last year for Vancouver. We'll get Book's uh, opinion on the Calgary Flames draft pick. And also, we're giving away two VIP tickets to the Cowboys Music Festival on Sunday, July 16th, where you can see Ice Cube, Steve Aoki, and 24K Golden. Give us your Kent Hughes like tough scenario for a, uh, a perspective draft pick. 960, 960, name and location. We'll do that in the 8 o'clock hour and talk to David Amber. It's the big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan.